This is the Education Business Podcast for consultants and business owners providing services in schools. I'm Claire Riley, and I'll be sharing how to start, grow, and scale your education business. So today we're going to be talking about hiring a freelancer, or it could even be an employee. But we do usually look to freelancers first for our first hires because, well, it's less commitment from us and it seems to work better for us. So the type of freelancer that I'm talking about here as well in this episode is someone who is specifically going to do a job that you already know how to do. So something that you already do in the company. So for example, it could be resource creation or admin tasks such as emails. Maybe it's working on the CRM or it could even be your social media. So I get asked um, how and when to hire your first person so much on Clubhouse. So I'm really going to dig deep for you and share what I've learned. And because there's so much to say on this topic, this episode is going to be the first of like a five-part mini-series all about hiring for the first time, whether that's a freelancer or an employee, because I'm going to be covering both. So just to be clear then, what we're not talking about today is working with, say, a design agency. For example, if you wanted social media graphics creating, then you're going to ask for that with a brief and that's what you're going to get. So they do things their way. And another great example of this is maybe hiring a web developer um, who's self-employed and they're going to do you a website. So they know what they're doing and they do it in their separate way. Um, it's a separate entity entity to you and then they're going to deliver you something. So this episode is not about that. It's about somebody working in your company. So getting a freelancer, for example, to look after your social media, that would require, require you to work with them on the way that you do things. So maybe you've got a document that you use for populating posts or maybe you've got a post timetable or there could be an approval step or you'd want to put one in um, if someone external was doing it. And then you'd need to consider access to social media and all that sort of thing as well. So this is hiring someone to do a job that you are already doing in the company. Even if your work comprises of five roles right now, it's, you know, you're getting help with one of them. So I've got 12 things that I want you to think about before you even let people know that you're going to be hiring. And I'm going to cover points one to six in this episode, and I'll cover points seven to 12 in the next one, in part two. So the first thing to consider then is, what is it that you need help with? So what could you hire someone in your company to do? And is it actually the obvious thing or not? And what I mean is long-term scalability. And I say this because back in the day, my first 20 hires we're in the production side of things. And they were all the same role as well. And I thought I was thinking about scalability. So I wanted to get more resources on the site because in my head, that would lead to more sales. And I wasn't 100% wrong, of course, but I had tunnel vision on those being the only elements. So resource creation was a role that I thought would be easy for teachers to pick up. And there's a clue there to one of my major mistakes that I'll touch on later. So the long and the short of it was that hiring freelancers actually created me more work in the business and didn't allow me more time to work on the business, which is what I thought I would get by hiring. So I basically created myself a higher and um, more demanding admin role, basically, um, plus more work to do on the production side of things as well. 
So this time round with Education Business Club, I've gone for admin first so that as I scale, that bit's going to be taken care of and I'll have time to work on the things that really matter for the growth of the business and are important for me to do. So I think what I'm trying to say here is it's important not to go all in on one thing without looking back and without looking at the overview of the company. So you need to scale each area of the business in turn, like admin, customer service, marketing, and not just scale in one area like I did with just so many people doing the same role and then nobody to look after them or think about the strategy. It was just me. And I did this because I thought I was saving money. I thought I was being sensible. But now I can see actually that, you know, it costs me money to not bring up leaders earlier with the right values or bring them in. And what he ended up with was a massive production team that obviously did great creative work, but then a handful of others, which to be honest were mainly my family, who took care of absolutely everything else in the business. And this wasn't good for our life-work balance, but it also wasn't good for setting expectations of accountability within the company either because we took care of everything. And even now, eight years in, we're still working on scaling the other teams. So I'm still working on dealing with the fallout of this huge lesson where we scaled rapidly and only in one area and not consistently across the piece. The second thing I want you to consider is where can you make time in your diary for this big event? So I want to stress that it really is a big event in your company's life. So before we get to the time aspect, let's just talk about our possible perceptions. Now, I know that some ex-teachers listen to this, and if you're an ex-teacher, I believe that it's in our nature to think that any teacher can do what we're doing, because after all, they had the same training and experience as us. That's a, that's a wrong perception, and um, I used to believe that, but now I don't. I thought any teacher could do what I was doing. But we've all got unique skills, and it's also about what lights us up as well as um, you know what, what we actually want to do as well. So as much as you might have this desire to save teachers like I do, I've learned the hard way that you actually need to get people who want to make a difference in your company, and not just people who want to get out of teaching. Because obviously, they're not going to add to your company in the same way, but you'll pay them the same for the privilege of that. So it's also easy for us to think that, you know, oh, they're a teacher, so they'll be able to pick everything up quickly, these systems and these processes that, you know, we've put in place over time that make complete sense to us because we've designed them. We think, oh, they'll pick them up straight away and then they'll never need any correspondence about it. But we don't really consider how long it's taken us to gain the experience or the process that we've been through to get to where we are now with all the knowledge that we have. But one thing that I really got wrong in the beginning was thinking that the odd training session here and there would suffice. Um, <laughs> that was after I got freelancers, that was employees. Um, you know, when I first got freelancers, I got team members, but then I didn't invest time in training them because I wanted them to solve all my problems overnight. And I think we can all feel that way but that's not, that's not the right way to feel. So at first, with my freelancers, I sent them an example resource as a template and then I expected them to notice all these minute details that I'd included because there were no instructions 
And the really bad part was that a couple of them just flew with that. And they seemed to notice all these details and they ended up becoming employees further down the line. But so many more people could have been capable if I'd have understood what it really took and how to get the best out of people. But I didn't know then what I didn't know. But hopefully I'm helping you on the journey. So I was just worried about all the wrong things, to be honest. I wasn't confident that even if somebody did copy me, then they wouldn't be me. And one of the reasons I didn't train them properly was because they were all freelancers. And I knew that they weren't committed to me and that I had no control over where they would possibly share my knowledge and systems with other resource companies or whether they would set up on their own with my um, information. So I didn't want to tell them all the ins and outs of why things had to be presented in a certain way. I'd done so much thinking, changing, trial and error on this very thing and I was worried about giving away what I considered to be my secrets and telling them the thinking behind it. So they didn't follow my process because I didn't tell them it. And then it took me hours and hours to correct all of their work. So I didn't set them up for success, or me for that matter. To be honest, you'd have wondered why I didn't create the resources myself, because getting them online was only marginally faster, yet it was costing me a lot of money in creation, and I was just proofreading them, and it was taking me a long time to do that. So obviously down the line, I had to get over this, and I had to start sharing my processes in detail, and I had to start sharing the thinking behind things which is an important thing to do and the funny thing is that what I was worried about way back when that deep thinking and experience that I'd put into my resources being passed onto the wrong hands well it actually happened a number of years later and it wasn't even with freelancers but what I've learned is that it was nothing to worry about it was actually a good thing in fact I'd go as far to say that it was a great thing really great thing. So we move really quickly at Classroom Secrets. We're innovative, we always have been, we're never doing something the same way six months later, so it doesn't even matter. And experiences like this, they just force you to innovate even more. But bringing it back to making time for this big event in your company's life, it's going to take time to get somebody up to speed and that's what I've been trying to demonstrate to you. You can't just continue to do all the tasks that you did last week and have a new employee. You're going to have to make arrangements in some form, whether that's an out of office or maybe you're going to have to work a weekend to do those emails. You're going to have to find time to give to them because they are going to need time from you. They're going to need your attention, even if it's a freelancer. So I really recommend maybe blocking out a week when they start and then committing to it because it's better to have extra time in that week to get things off your list than not to be able to support them. You're going to need time before they start as well and then you're going to need time in subsequent weeks and obviously it's not going to be full time but you're going to need a significant amount of time that you can tail off as time goes on. So if you want to get the best out of them even if they're a freelancer then you're going to have to start thinking of them as an employee and be willing to spend time with them. So the third thing to consider then, are you clear on the system 
our systems or the process or processes that you want them to pick up. So now is a great time to refine that. So you might find extra steps need to be added when you come down to processing your processes out because you have um, access to something or knowledge that they don't or won't have and it's difficult to get it out of your head. But what I recommend you do is documenting it step by step. So a numbered list of instructions. And this could easily mean that a process takes 100 steps. You'd be surprised. And as you go through, you know, you'll write it out and then you'll follow the process and you'll realize that you've missed so much and you have to put so much more back in. And that's okay. It shows you why it's important to write everything down and not expect somebody to remember when they've only been shown once. How on earth can they remember 100 steps? So doing this is a great way to see if you can speed anything up as well and to make sure that you're clear on the most efficient way of doing something. And you can't move on in the hiring process before you feel clear about a set way of doing things. So here are some things to consider in the process too that you probably, it doesn't probably exist in your business right now. Firstly, how are you going to organize when they work or the tasks that they are assigned, are they going to be able to choose or are you going to choose for them? Are you going to assign it to them? How are you going to control quality? And how do you control quality now? How are you going to communicate with them? Is it going to be by email or is that going to be really time consuming? Are you going to have to invest in the software instead? So these all bump up the cost, but I'm going to talk about that later. So think carefully about which processes that you would like them to carry out. So are you thinking about giving them the right tasks? It's okay to give people, the right people, entrepreneurial things to do, but they're going to need coaching to support them. And that'll have to be from you. And they'll also need a fence to operate within so you both feel safe. But it's also so much harder to give them more open-ended things to do in the beginning. It's a new way of working that you've got to define, get used to and manage. So it's important to try and separate the entrepreneurial things that you've naturally done from the process-driven activities that somebody will be able to help you with. And the reason for that is that it's your business, it's not theirs, so they're not going to see things the way you do. And it's not that you can't give them the entrepreneurial things to do. But you need to get clear about what they are and whether you want to pass those on. The fourth thing to consider then is whether or not you're in the right mindset. Ask yourself, am I in the right mindset? Because this is a really big responsibility and you're going to have to think about their workload as well as your own. You're going to need to give them one-to-ones, learn about management and leadership and grow personally an awful lot. And when we get to this point in our business, thinking about hiring staff, our feeling is that we're burned out and we just want to dump a load of tasks that we're fed up of doing onto someone else. But that's not a job role, just being dumped a load of tasks. And nobody's going to want to come in and do that. So think really carefully about what the job role is going to be. Have you started learning about leadership? Are you taking them on to help you feel less overwhelmed? Or do you actually want to help them grow as a person? And, and as an employee. And if it's the former, which in reality it probably is deep down, then I want you to think about how you can reframe it to be the latter. 
reframe it so that you want to help them grow rather than you want them to help you feel less overwhelmed. Okay, so the fifth thing to consider then, how many people do you actually need? And I'm talking about right now, really, to be honest. So I'm a massive fan of killing two birds with one stone. So if I can employ two people instead of one by doing it all at once, then I will. But don't take too many on to begin with like I did. (laughs) So they're going to need your time and attention, as I've said before. So I had 20 freelance resource creators within six months and I was proofreading and formatting everything, uploading them, doing the customer service, the marketing and the finance. It would have been more beneficial for me to commit to one person, get them doing things properly, rather than having 20 people doing 15, uh, maybe 10, 15 hours that were not spent very well and then having you know an inbox full of resources that I took months to get through and put online. And I've had to keep relearning this lesson over and over again. So in 2018, we hired a lot of people in the production department in just a few short months. And the way we hired at the time, it was just expected that a percentage wouldn't make it. And we'd hire how many, how many we thought were good on the day, not an amount of people that we actually needed. So that time when we hired so many people, it absolutely shook the culture because there were so many people and they didn't get the best experience from us. And you won't be surprised to hear, of course, that we didn't get the best outcomes for the company either. And the sixth thing that I want you to consider is how much it's going to cost you. You need to research how much it will cost. So what are the other businesses paying their staff or their freelancers? And is cheap the best thing for you? Or is it experience? And it's difficult to answer that question if you haven't employed anyone before. I've definitely employed two people on a lower rate thinking that I would get more. Whereas now I know that I could have paid one brilliant person a better wage and it would have been better for the employee as well and less stress for me and cheaper for the company. So I could have employed two people at 20 grand each or one person at 30 grand and got the same amount of work, had only one person to manage. And it's likely if that person's brilliant, they're not going to need a lot of managing either. But then again, I've also known people who have given managers massive salaries in a tiny team before really understanding whether that person that they're employing can actually do the job or not. And then you've got all that fallout to deal with after that. And I've been there as well. (laughs) I've definitely had an interesting journey when it comes to employing and I'm very grateful um, for all the ups and downs and the experiences that I've learned from. So this is a learning game and while I can look back now and see what's wrong, I'm not sure that I would have known what I was looking at back then. So my biggest lesson has been the lack of time that I actually put into um, employees and building them up and making sure that they were skilled up and knowledgeable. So I only hope that me sharing my experiences will help you to recognize these issues in your own company, whether you've hired staff or whether you're about to hire staff. So next time I'm going to be covering employer costs, your own salary, HR and contracts. So make sure you tune in to part two. I really hope this episode has been helpful. If you're interested in working with me in September, 
in either a group or one-to-one capacity, then you can register your interest at educationbusinessclub.co.uk forward slash mentoring 2021. Thank you for listening to the Education Business Podcast. To get more information to grow your business, sign up at educationbusinessclub.co.uk. 